the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. According to today's guest, Bob Doyle, your brain's wiring dictates how you make meaning out of every moment. Bob believes that the science of neuroplasticity, the ability for the brain to change, is the most direct path to lasting transformation. He teaches how to intentionally and efficiently rewire your brain to transform you into the person you need to be to get the results you want. Bob is a law of attraction expert, author, and coach who is known for his contribution to the film and book, The Secret. Welcome, Bob. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here, Joan. Thanks. Bob, your work takes a grounded and biological look at what controls our experiences, which is our brain. How does the brain dictate what we experience? Well, you know, when when we're born from age zero to seven, we're just sort of wide open. Our brain is in massive record mode. And so it's taking on everything that is being input by our parents and society and just anything that we're around. And so that forms our fundamental beliefs which basically make up what is true for us, what is true about reality, what's true for us, uh, potentially what we can achieve in our lives. But our wiring is different from the persons down the street and across the country. We all have these different versions of truth. And based on how we're wired, in any given moment, we're going to make meaning out of that moment. And depending on that meaning, we're going to take our next action. So if the action we keep taking because of the meaning we're making is sending us in the wrong direction in our life, we're feeling frustrated, we're feeling stuck, then it's time to go back to the source of all of that meaning making, which is the wiring of our brain, and do what we did to get it wired in the first place, only intentionally this time. And so that's what you mean when you say to create a life of design. Yes, like we get to choose who we be in the world. But most of us are doing that completely on autopilot because we don't realize we can actually change some of the fundamental ways of how we be in the world and, and of course, then create different results based on who we're being. Right. And that subconscious programming that you you mentioned, that often isn't even our own programming. It's what we've picked up from the people who are around us. Yeah, for the most part, it's not because zero to seven, we're not assessing anything. We're not evaluating anything. We're not we're just we don't have that ability yet. Our brains are not developed enough to do that. So, again, we're just saying yes to everything. And of course, then it's going to be our parents and our society or our environment, which dictates those fundamental beliefs. It's when we start getting critical thinking and start assessing things for ourselves that we have an opportunity because we don't know that we could actually change that wiring. We're comparing all of our new information, everything that comes to us new, with our fundamental wiring and saying, okay, given this moment right now and what I know about everything, what does this mean and what should I do? But again, different people will have a different answer to that and get different results, even though the situation itself is identical. So, Bob, if we've been operating primarily from our subconscious programming, having these knee jerk reactions and, you know, just behaving in the same manner year after year for X amount of years, how do we go mm-hmm. about making change so that it sticks? Well, first, we have to realize that all we're doing here is learning. We're just learning to be a new way. And so, and this is the same way we learn anything. If we're going to take on learning a new language, we're going to have to study that language repeatedly and consistently and make mistakes. And it's a, you know, it's a journey 
to learn a new language, to learn anything. Because if we don't know it, then there's going to be an automatic discomfort. But if we are committed to the goal, if we are committed to the end result, if we know why we must do this, like walking, talking, all these other non-negotiables, then we'll do it. We'll just take it. We won't analyze. We won't say, oh, my God, the universe doesn't want it for us or I'm not meant to do this. We just do it. But when it comes to our personal transformation or our life and our goal, we, we have a whole different thought about it. But we just need to – we have the life we have right now because of what we've learned about life and how, what we've learned about meaning-making. But we can learn to make new meaning and then create a different life out of that. For our listeners who may not be familiar with it, can you explain the law of attraction to us? Well, sure, a little. But here's the thing. I've been doing that 20 years, and the whole reason that I'm talking about neuroplasticity right now is because this conversation about the law of attraction only confuses people. It can get them excited because it sounds so mystical and, oh, my God, I can attract this and the other thing. But they get so focused on the law of attraction and getting it right that they do, do not focus on who do I need to be to have and maintain the results I want in my life through the law of attraction or whatever. So after 20 years of really being an evangelist for the law of attraction and, underst- and thinking that if you just understood that it is a thing, it's real, then you'll have results, I've seen that that is not the case. There's just massive confusion, so many different theories. People will talk for two weeks about what the law of attraction is and isn't, and none of it is going to rewire your brain. So I just decided, since reality is created in the moment that we give that moment meaning, let's work on the meaning that we're making in that moment so that we can take different action. Then the law of attraction will work all on its own. However, to answer your question, the way that I always defined the law of attraction was that we would attract into our experience those things with which we are in vibrational resonance. And I loved that definition because to me it was the most scientifically accurate, that it just begs way too many questions and people spend too, many, too much time trying to figure that out because they won't even let themselves have progress or success until they believe it, understand it, make sure they're doing the right technique. It's all not necessary. What do you think is the biggest factor in success? Making it non-negotiable. End of, I mean, that's it. It can't be optional because if it be, if it's at all optional to get where you're going to go, then you're why, and especially if you're trying to do this by yourself without any kind of coaching or, or guidance or something, you're going to reach the limits of your wiring. That's just biology. It just is. And it doesn't matter how smart you are, how intelligent, how enlightened, how mystical, how spiritual, you're going to reach the limits of your wiring. And at that point, you know, you need new information. You need new ways of, of, uh, of thinking. And you also have to be committed to the end because every part of your brain will try to talk you out of moving forward because you have all the logical reasons, all the experience, all the evidence you need to justify not moving forward. But that's because you're only referencing your current wiring. We're going to create new wiring, which gives you a whole new range of possibilities. Bob, tell us about your transformation personality quiz. Sure. So when, when we have this conversation, most people say, okay, well, then what do I do to rewire? And the first thing that's going to help this process is understanding how you're wired in the first place to be able to identify where you are in autopilot where you may not know that because it's those autopilot actions, the autopilot responses and meaning making that are keeping you there. So, and if you don't know that they're there, if you don't, if they aren't exposed to you as wiring and not the truth, then you will not even, it will, you won't even consider changing them. It's not even going to be a part of, of, of your, of your consciousness. So the quiz, which is 60 seconds, it's free, it's multiple, it couldn't be easy to go through, but it gives you very valuable information about your autopilot behavior in, when it relates to uh, personal transformation. This is all based on my 20 years of working with people on personal transformation, and I've seen you know, every kind of way people can stop themselves. And so as a result, I was able to categorize some of, categorize some of these traits into these uh, personality types to help a person say, oh, okay, yes, that's me, and now I can be on the lookout for that behavior, and instead of succumbing to it, replace it with something more empowering. Can you take us through the four personality types? Yes. So quickly, the, the, the number one type that I run into is the seeker, and the seeker is a person who you know, is going from program to program, guru to guru trying to find the thing that's going to work for them, that resonates with them the most. But the problem with that, all that jumping around, is, again, the biology in your brain. It doesn't have a chance to take hold and do any new wiring. Because what generally happens with someone who jumps around is either 
The next thing is a new shiny object, which makes it seem easier or fat, whatever, something like that. Or they reach a level of discomfort in their growth, and then something else seems to make it seem a little bit more easy, so they'll jump. So the seeker just needs to understand that discomfort is a wonderful part of this process. It's, it's crucial to growth, and you welcome it. And so when you find something that resonates with you, then you just stick with it and at least complete it and let, the wire, let the, all the potential wiring take place. So that's, that, that's, a, that's a quick way to, to uh, sum up the seeker. So another one is the wizard, and the wizard is the person who is prone to more sort of magical thinking. They are way into the ritual of like vision boards and lists and meditation and visualization, all of which are crucial tools for this. They're not woo-woo tools. They are brain rewiring tools. It's when you try to make them woo-woo tools, like they're what are going to do the magic, that we have a problem. And that's what the wizard tends to do. They do all the ritual, but then they don't take the action, the part where they have to go out there and be that person that all this ritual should be shaping in their brain. So the, the, the wizard just needs to take it out of the meditation chamber and into the world so that the world can have a chance to respond to this new wiring that you're you know, visualizing. Then the skeptic is the person who, as the name would imply, tends to say no to everything before they say yes to anything. In the, in the capacity of skeptic that I'm talking about now. There's nothing wrong with being skeptical about things because it can keep you from doing a lot of dumb stuff. But the skeptic I'm talking about looks at every opportunity for growth and expansion and, and asks the question, why won't this work for me? That's, and if you ask any question to your brain, it's going to go seek out the answers. And so when you ask, why won't this work for me? Well, especially if you've got a lifetime of experience of things not working for you, you've, you've got a laundry list of reasons. And so you won't take the action. You won't take the chance. No risk, no growth, no progress. But the same skeptic could ask themselves the opposite question, which is, how could this work for me? And still maintain their integrity as a skeptic. They're still not letting anybody take them for a ride. They're still not going to look stupid. They're going to analyze this, but they're asking a way better question. And when they start getting answers like, oh, okay, here's a way it could work, here's a way it could work, then perhaps one day they will take that risk, take that step, and actually grow. And the last one is the people pleaser, which is a heartbreaker, because the people pleaser really, really wants to grow. They've been inspired, they saw a secret, I don't know what they did, but they, now they want to be somebody who they haven't been before. But as soon as they start demonstrating that, talking about it, the people who are around them now, who know them as they've been, have a problem with it, you know, and give them a look, or they say a thing like, who are you to do that, or that doesn't work in our family, or whatever, right? They just express a lot of discomfort with who you're being, and so the people pleaser tends to stop so that everybody's comfortable. But the thing is, is no one's comfortable. Those people aren't comfortable just because they're not telling you about it. They, they're still uncomfortable with where they're at, or they wouldn't have told you why you can't be the better version. And you, of course, just gave up on your life, uh, something of a spiritual suicide, because that thing that's calling you is there for a reason. You are to go for it. it is the, that is pulling you through the journey of life where you grow and experience and meet new people and just have the time of your life. That's what it's there for. If you ignore it so that other people are uncomfortable, you're going to start to feel that. And this is the thing about when we rationalize not growing for any reason, whatever type you are. We're meant to grow. We're in an ever-expanding universe. If we don't grow, if we don't expand with those things that are in us to do, we're going to feel it. It shows up as disease. It shows up as depression and anger and resentment and all of those nasty things because we're not giving ourselves permission to express who we're here to be. I took your test and I came out as a wizard now. And what was interesting, reading the descriptions of these different personality types, up until I made a major transformation in my life and started doing this work over 11 years ago, I was the classic people pleaser, everything you described about that person. But somewhere along the way, when I made this this major change, I moved over to being a wizard. Do you see that happening? Do people move from category to category? People are basically in all the categories in, on some level. You could test for one one day and the other the other day. And it doesn't make any difference. No less valuable information. Any information about your autopilot behavior is valuable. So, it, I mean, you, you're probably predominant in one area, but I would have tested wizard slash skeptic had I had this quiz 20 years ago, like which seems completely opposite of each other, the guy who wants to believe in the magic and yet says no to everything. But that's where I was. I could have easily classified myself in either one of those categories. So 
it, it, it doesn't matter, really. It's, if you can see yourself in any of these things, it's good information. Well, yeah, because looking at my own life, then I probably am still, you know, after listening to you, a wizard slash people pleaser. I have all the thoughts, and it's probably what stops me from taking action is what other people think. So you're right. I'm, I probably am still there. That's the beauty of all of this is it's just wiring all the things that make you a people pleaser. It's just this complex network of stuff that, that put together meaning that like you need to do this or it's wrong, whatever it is, whatever's driving you. But it's just wiring. And you can create in your mind an image of the version of you who is not affected in the same way by what other people say. It, you don't have to figure out how. You just look at it and imagine being it. What would it feel like? And here's the thing about visualization. It's free. And you can do it whenever you want, whenever you got a few minutes. And it's not just some whimsical waste of time. You are rewiring your brain. If you do it consistently with full emotion and all these things, your subconscious doesn't know you're not doing it. So you're, you're, you're basically starting the rewiring process. And then you go out in the world and you put it in the physical by actually acting on these things you've rehearsed in your mind mentally. That makes the wiring even stronger. But again, this is, this is just how you learn anything. I, I want to take the, the, I'm really my message now is really to make this as simple as possible and feel where people don't have to break it down into a million different. It's just learning like anything else. Like you learn directions to a new place. You go again and again and again, and it's wired in. And you don't have to think about it anymore. So it's the same thing here. You just you just what do you want to learn? Who do you want to be? And you imagine it. You get to make it up. That's why we have this brain of ours. That's why we know we're here to live. Who we're what is in us to do? We're each born out of this just ocean of energy were put here with these innate desires and passions. That's cool. And we have a brain that allows, that can be wired however it needs to be to have us live that life, to have us experience those things that are in us to experience. The unfortunate reality of how things have turned, progressed and evolved is that we are born into families that, you know, we have no control over what we're going to be told in those first seven years. So now it becomes either the luck of the draw, your initial wiring, but you can always override it, but you got to really want to. It really does show each one of us how powerful we are. And you've been doing this for a long time. Why do you think people aren't doing this? What is the, the biggest objection that you've heard? Yeah, well, it, whatever they say, the real reason is they don't believe it'll work for them. Mm-hmm. They just don't believe it will work for them. So they, they can talk all around them. And then I can tell them something. It's like this, it doesn't get more simple than if you're a human being and you have a human brain, then you can change it. There's, if you want to make that complicated, then that shows you right there just how crazy our wiring is. You know, that's, you're, you're fighting against the most simple concept you learn. And you have a lifetime of evidence to show how you learn. And yet in this case, you come up with excuses. There's no logic. So you just have to, for me, my logical brain is loving this conversation because I have to, you know, coaching becomes a, a, a conversation of logic and, and letting them see how, how this knee-jerk response is not true, is not serving them, and can be changed. But it's just, it's just amazing how, much, how difficult it is or how much more challenging it is for a person to accept that they could do something they're doing every day but in, in an intentional way. But that's the main reason, because they don't believe it'll happen. So as soon as it gets too tough or they get any evidence or too much pressure from the outside, they just wrap that up in their meeting machine and make it evidence that it can't work for them. And they stop and then they can't and then it never happens. It's the only reason people don't succeed is because they quit. I meet a lot of entrepreneurs and, and one of the biggest things I hear people complain about, they'll say, I've been doing this work for 10 years and I do everything right. And, and you know, they they say, I'm open to the universe to give me what I need and, and all this. And then they'll, they'll come and they'll say, but why isn't it happening? Why aren't yeah. I making the money I'm supposed to be making? Why is this not growing? So somewhere in there, is it just that they say they're open, but somewhere deep inside, they really don't believe? Yes. If they're asking that question, why isn't this working? Then they don't get it yet. They're still thinking that there's, there's some sort of magical combination besides just action and learning and taking your lumps and adjusting. They're waiting for something else other than that's just how you learn anything else to happen. And they'll, and they'll spend decades wasting time on that, waiting to manifest that parking place because they finally got their law of attraction gig right. It, it's just, I mean, look, 
I am not anti-law of attraction. I was committed to its teaching for 20 years. But what I see is so many people who have, who fell in love with it, who say, yes, I get this. I've always known this. But then they're trying to make it work rather than themselves. For someone who's listening to you right now and says, Bob, I, I really want to learn how to do this in my life. I want to make these changes. What's the best way that person can get started? What do you advise? In one way or the other, they got to start waking up to where they are on autopilot. So the quiz is a free way to at least start that. And once you start recognizing some autopilot behavior, others, even without a quiz or anything, begins to show itself because it's related or whatever. The more you look at yourself, this is about waking up. It's about becoming conscious. You know, you, you have to learn to become your own observer from a place of sort of non-emotion, non-time, non-any of that, and just go, wow, look at me about to go into autopilot. But, you know, if you haven't rehearsed a new way to do it, a different way to be, if you haven't gotten clear on the vision, at least a starting point of different behavior, then you can recognize your autopilot behavior all day long, and it's not going to make any difference if you don't do something different in that moment. And Bob, what is the site? Where can people take your quiz? It is tptquiz.com for transformation personality type quiz.com, tptquiz.com. So they take the quiz, they'll get a, a video that explains, you know, the ins and outs of that particular type and things you can do with that type. Because there's nothing wrong with being any of these types. This is not like the defect identifier. You, and, and just because you have some of these traits, it doesn't mean you're going to sabotage. The, the quiz exists for people who recognize their frustration, who are feeling stuck. Right? If you're kicking ass, you don't need to take – you're good. You know, There's nothing wrong with being a wizard or a skeptic or a people pleaser or a seeker unless it is stopping you from growing. And, and then it's, there's still nothing wrong with it. We just need to make adjustments so you can be that wizard and still have the life you want. You can love the ritual, embrace the law of attraction, love all of it, but not get obsessed with it to the point where you're not doing the things you need to do for the biology in your brain to occur to create rewiring. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. And, and also, if our listeners would like to learn more about Bob and his work, you can also visit meetbobdoyle.com. This has been such a fascinating conversation, and um, I, I really hope that our listeners will take this quiz and get started on this journey. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit cyacyl.com slash media training. That's cyacyl.com slash media training. If you're a business owner and you're not using video to market your company, you're losing customers and revenue, guaranteed. No matter whether you're a one-person shop or your revenue's in the seven figures, video is guaranteed to improve your fortunes. Hi, I'm Ed Lamoro, owner of Lamore Strategy Group and Lamore Life Productions, a marketing consultancy and video production company. The most common two things I hear about why businesses aren't using video marketing is, one, I don't know how to do video marketing, and two, I don't feel comfortable on camera. Well, to both of those objections, I say this. Video shouldn't be scary. Failure should be scary. 
Numbers don't lie. According to HubSpot, video is the number one form of media used in content strategy. And according to WiseOwl, 84% of people say that they've been convinced to buy a product or service by watching a company's video. So how can you ride the wave to your own success? As Nike says, just do it. Practice, delete, and repeat until it looks good and feels right. And don't forget that you should tell stories if you want to get engagement. No one wants to watch ads. Well, perhaps with the exception of advertising agencies who make their living off them. But learn how to tell a story, and you'll soon be watching the clicks and views multiply exponentially along with your revenue. If you need help with your video needs, give me a call or visit my website at lamorestrategies.com. That's L-A-M-O-U-R strategies.com. This is Ed Lamoro from Lamore Strategy Group and Lamore Life Production where our favorite story to tell is yours. Do you toss and turn in bed and feel like you will never fall asleep? Do you wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep? If this sounds like you, then hypnosis may be the answer for a good night's sleep. Hi, I'm Mary Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner at Metro Hypnosis Center. If you're having trouble sleeping, first, you want to create a different approach to sleep. Start with the thoughts that you currently think about sleep. Instead of thinking, I won't fall asleep or I won't stay asleep, take a moment to rephrase those statements. I easily fall asleep at night. I can stay asleep for the whole night and wake up refreshed. Next, relax the mind before you go to bed. A lot of times, it's the thoughts or worrying that keep us up at night. Keep a night journal by your bed and write away the worries or thoughts of the day. When you close the journal, let that be the signal to start relaxing the mind. Do some deep breathing and visualize the body being relaxed. Visualize the thoughts leaving the mind. Visualize yourself sleeping through the night. These steps can be used if you wake up in the middle of the night as well. See this happening night after night, easily falling asleep and staying asleep. For more information how hypnosis can help you, go to my website, metrohypnosiscenter.com. believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe that the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. While we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life, and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So what is the key to getting through a tragedy? First and foremost, we must recognize that we have a choice in the situation. When a tragedy occurs, often we believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating a circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. After my mother and sister died and my 23-year marriage ended all within a period of six months, I knew I was at a fork in my life. I could go one way and let the loss and pain defeat me. I could be a victim, or I could go in a different direction and turn the pain into something positive, something with meaning. It was my choice. We all have that choice. Some people create a charity from the loss of a child. Others write books based on their experience, while others make necessary life changes, such as getting sober. Tragedy has the power to transform us, and it provides hidden blessings if we take the time to look for them. I think what is allowable is what you need. Initial hurt, sadness, grief are all normal emotions, and they should be felt. Never suppress your feelings. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. It's important to get help if you cannot get going by yourself. Read books or seek counsel that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. 
Seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and that you have a choice. It is absolutely okay to feel scared and lonely. Don't ever let someone make you feel less than because you're grieving or in pain. Everyone heals in their own time. There's no right or wrong way to grieve, and there's no timetable. A true friend would want to know what's going on in your life. It's never too much to tell someone you love that you're in trouble and need help. You should never be ashamed. There are blessings in every situation, but sometimes you have to look harder to find them. When my father was dying from cancer, while it was a horrible experience, it was also a gift because when I took him for treatment every day, I really got to know him. We talked and we laughed and we spent precious time together. I had to look for that gift, but now I treasure it. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Today, more than ever, it seems like people are emotionally charged, on edge, ready for conflict. It's so easy to get caught up in that energy. According to today's guest, Dr. Christian Conti, anger is natural, and we're not wrong or bad for feeling it, but it can lead to acting impulsively with regrettable consequences. Dr. Conti is here today to discuss how we can deal with anger and inflamed emotions. Dr. Conti is a licensed professional counselor, a certified domestic violence counselor, and a certified level five anger management specialist. He was a resident therapist on VH1's Family Therapy, co-host of USA Network's The Secret Life of Kids, and co-host of Spike TV's Coaching Bad with Football Hall of Famer Ray Lewis. He's the author of the book, Walking Through Anger, A New Design for Confronting Conflict in an Emotionally Charged World. Welcome, Dr. Conti. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. What a beautiful introduction. Well, that's your life, so it's all on you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, I absolutely love your title, Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, because you empower people to say that it's, the ball is in their court, and that's so true. Yeah, you know, thank you for saying that, because this really, the work that I'm doing came from a major overhaul in my life. And the one important lesson that I learned from everything I experienced is like you said, it's within us. It's, you know, get your head in the game and we have the power. Definitely. Well, you hit on an essential truth. And when it comes to anger and what I'll, we'll talk about today, the reality is that of everyone in the world, you are the only person you can control. Mm -hmm. And so as much energy as we want to focus on what other people should be doing differently or how other people should be thinking or feeling, the reality is we can only change ourselves. So I love it. Well, you know, and you've said, uh, and I thought that this was great, you said that working in this field for 20 years has taught you that the world boils down to two kinds of people, those with issues (laughs) and dead people. And, And that, boy, that is true. So this is such an important <laughs> conversation true. to have because there, every one of us, we have our own issues and we're dealing with people who have issues. So what got you interested in working with anger management? So, you know, I really thought about this. I tried to trace this back. It wasn't so much as a, a quick decision as an evolution throughout my life. So imagine this. So I grew up, my dad was an earth scientist. And I, when I was a haughty teenager, I said to my dad, uh, well, what got you interested in like studying rocks? And and my dad looked at me and he said, well, look, if you're only going to live on one planet your whole life, don't you think you ought to get to know that planet? And I thought that was brilliant. And and later on, when I was in college and I was struggling and lost and kind of looking for the best course of uh, path to follow, I thought about my dad's advice, except I thought, it, thought about it slightly differently. I thought, if I'm only ever going to live with me my entire life, why not get to know myself? And that really set me down the path of psychology and introspection and wanting to learn as much as I could about me. So that was one kind of a moment that I think was a shift as I look back on my life. The other was this, Joan. My mom was an English teacher, and she's the m- most kind, loving human being you could meet. In school, she was a st- very strict disciplinarian. And the kids were pretty, I think they're pretty intimidated by her. She's tiny as can be, but I'll tell you this. Right before ninth grade, my mom said to me, now I went to school where if you watch an 80s movie where kids circle up and fight, 
Mm-hmm. That was pretty much it. Like that's exactly what happened. So my mom looked at me before I went in ninth grade, and she said, "I'd better never find out that you ever watched the fight. If you see a fight, you step in and break it up." And when I really reflected on my life, Joan, I realized that she taught me then and there to step into conflict, not away from it. And there is a, a, a conscious and a mindful way to handle conflict. But I've always kind of stepped into conflict. I've always been interested in learning, constantly learning. And, and then on the, the most recent aspect, maybe 15 years ago, I was doing a study on my yield theory, and I went kind of undercover. So I'm a six foot, 250 pound bald guy with tattoos, covered in <laughs> tattoos. <laughs> Honestly, Jonah, you, you, I wouldn't be offended if you looked at me and said, oh, you ride a motorcycle, which I do. But still, <laughs> uh, so I, I went in and I did a group for people who were convicted of violent crimes, and I sat in the back. Um, so they just assumed I was there with them. And I watched how, A, the, the, the guys who were in there, what they had to do is they had to write a letter of accountability. In other words, they had to say what they were sorry for and this and that. Well, I was watching the guys before the group started, and one guy had to do this letter, and the other guys were telling him what to erase and what to write. And he wasn't actually taking accountability. He was just doing what he was supposed to do so that they could bureaucratically have the paperwork. And then the teacher was extremely pejorative. He, he, he was condescending. He, some of you are, are, are psychopaths. You'll never change. And so I thought, well, this isn't right. This whole system, not from their end, not from his end, not just, it's just not right. So I ended up uh, doing a study on my yield theory. It went real well. And then I just took over and I started doing groups for people convicted of violent crimes. And that's really how I kind of got, got into it. Dr. Conti, why do you believe so many people are angry today? I, I mean, it, you, everywhere you go, whether it be social media, in person, I mean, even the supermarket, it seems like people are ready for a fight. What's happening? Okay, I really believe it comes down to this. Just the way I say there are two kinds of people, I believe there are two worlds that we live in. One world is what I would call the cartoon world. That is our world where we believe that things should happen the way we think that they we want them to. So we say they things should be like this. People should be nice to me. When I drive in traffic, people should get out of my way. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I get to work, the boss should acknowledge my work. But then there's the real world. And the real world is the way the world actually is, which means people are going to cut you off in traffic. And, you know, they're going to be in front of you in that line, the grocery store. And your boss might give credit to somebody else. As long as you align your expectations with the cartoon world, the way you think the world should be, you're going to be let down. But here's the catch, Joan, and this is what's powerful. It's not the world that's letting you down because the world is what the world is. It's your own thought. So I teach people to align their expectations with reality. The more prepared we are for reality, the more we will be able to handle it. But when you ask the question, why are people so angry? I believe quite simply and directly, we have a world where people are more and more caught up in their cartoon world. People should believe what I believe. They should think what I think. And that's a huge problem. And once you realize people don't always do what you want them to do, and that really is okay, and you're okay, then you have a much better chance to not be reactive. Okay, so understanding what causes us to be reactive, when we feel ourselves getting overwhelmed with anger, what are a few strategies that can help us really take control of that emotion? Okay, so I love that question. Neuroscience has taught us an awful lot. We don't want to operate off information from 1950. And what we know now is this. You know, old anger management advice used to be, well, count to 10 and walk away. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, we've, we've learned the reality of things like seething rage. In other words, for some people, when they walk away, if you've ever had the experience where you were arguing with someone, maybe you went away to work for the day, And you come back at the end of the day and you're angrier, even though no new information happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's basically that thing rage in your mind. You kept spiraling, going deeper and deeper with it. And then by the end of the day, you're furious. So if someone has seething rage and you tell them to count to 10 and walk away, they're going to count to 10 and just get angry and come back and explode works. So we need to be mindful about this whole old wives tales about what what works and what doesn't. Here's what I think absolutely works. There will be a beginning, middle and end to every emotional experience we ever have. And the more mindful we can be that there will be a beginning, middle, and end to every experience we have, the more we understand that people see our actions, not our intentions. And so our emotions are going to come and go, but our actions, they can't be undone. The more we understand those two 
crucial pieces of advice, the better in that moment we can begin to tell ourselves, let's come back to the concept, change your attitude, change your life. We begin to tell ourselves, look, I'm angry right now. It's extremely uncomfortable. It's not the end of the world. This anger will pass, but what I do in this moment will not be able to be undone. Now, when we start to approach the moment, we understand this feeling's not going to last forever. So it's basically having a different conversation with yourself. In the first example of step away and calm down, that's when you're feeding yourself the story of the rage. But what you're saying then is to rewrite the story, to understand your emotions and your actions, and to become mindful of your behavior. 100%, 100%. And, and look, we are the only people that we can control. So it does come back time and again to what we say. I love when you use the word story because we create a narrative. One of the, I think, most powerful teachings that I share with people is this. I, I've really discovered this throughout the last 20-some years, and that is our mind always wants to match our body. So in many cases, we talk about self-talk and it's the thoughts that we have drive our emotions and they most certainly do. They don't determine our emotions because there are times you might have really pure, wonderful thoughts, but let's say you have a really bad stomach ache and now that starts to impact you. Or maybe you're struggling with uh, physiological anxiety or physiological depression. So it's not necessarily always you just say the, a magic word and things are going to be better. And when your mind wants to match your body, here's what happens. If your body's agitated, if your body's irritable, and you're not mindful of what your self-talk is, you'll begin to create a story, a narrative to match that uncomfortable body. So l- let me make, maybe this will be a good, clear example. Joan, let's say you and I down three energy drinks really quickly. Mm-hmm. And we down three energy drinks really quickly. Our heart's going to go fast. Our body's going to be shaking a little bit. And we're going to feel physically anxious. And here's what's going to happen. For busy people like you and me, we might start saying, oh, no, did I forget to do this? Was I supposed to be here? Uh, oh, I, I forgot I was going to do this later. And so we start to create a, a narrative of an anxious story. Well, imagine the same thing is true when you're feeling very irritable and very and, and agitated If you create a story to match that, it might very well be, my loved one didn't listen to me last week, and and I never did finish that conversation. And and now you start to ruminate and allow your narrative to become one of anger rather than one of the observer, just recognizing, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but it's not the end of the world. So this technique would help us become skilled at controlling our own anger. But what about the hot-headed people in our life? Could the same approach help us defuse a situation when we face their anger? It does, and I absolutely love that question because so the, the essence of what I've done, I've created something called yield theory, and yield theory is it's about meeting people where they are, attempting to see the world from their perspective. And so I think that in life, and life, we're, it's easy for us to be skeptical of others, right? We, if we see somebody that says something and we don't agree with it, boy, we're skeptical of it. Where did they get this info? I don't believe that. I don't buy into that. But what's fascinating is this, Joan. As much as everyone out there, every listener out there knows that we all have more to learn. As long as we're alive, we have more to learn. But the moment someone disagrees with us, first thing we do, we shut down. We, we're, we're trying to tell them what we're seeing. We're not seeking to listen. And, and we're not very skeptical of our own thoughts. So it's easy to be skeptical of others, difficult to be skeptical of ourselves. So I tell you all that to say that when I look back and thought, what do I really do? 20,000 hours, I'm sitting down with people. What do I do? I wanted to be skeptical, not just of others, but of myself. So I thought, what are the core actions of what I actually do? Because I used to tell people, I just sit in the chair and talk to people. What you do with it is up to you. So I realized I do three things. And these are the things that we do when we encounter loved ones, anyone with anger, anyone with anger. I want you to do these three things. Listen, validate, explore options. Now, listen, as easy it is to say those three things. But the challenge is, how do we listen? How do we validate? How do we explore options? And and, and I want to make that make sense. If somebody starts being angry at us, for whatever reason, the first thing we do, we seek to defend ourselves. See, yield theory is all about getting around people's defensiveness. And if I'm defending myself, I'm not getting around their defensiveness. So if I genuinely listen, and not just listen to what they say, but to how they say it, now I can validate them. 
wow, it sounds like you're really upset with this, or let me see, you know, I can see what you're saying. Not, I, I'm not saying I understand, because I don't fully understand someone else's perspective, but I'm trying. And then lastly, explore options. So where do we go from here? How do we handle this from this moment forward? I know in my life, when I get very angry, one of the biggest things that bothers me the most is when I don't feel like I'm being heard. And so I can see how with your approach, it could make you feel like the other person is trying to understand and empathize and sympathize. And that would diffuse the situation. Yes. And it's so it's exciting. I appreciate you saying that so much because it's so actually exciting. And the truth is, we do want to be heard. When we're angry, we want to be heard. The, pr- the challenge for a lot of people is when that person wants to be heard, we want to be explaining ourselves when the truth is if we would just take time to listen, really hear what they're saying, and then validate that. And validate doesn't mean condone it. Validate doesn't mean, oh, okay, I agree with you. No, I'm saying I'm acknowledging what you're saying. I'm acknowledging how you're feeling. And now we're going to, then we can move into where do we go from here? This isn't establishing a right or wrong. It's just listening to each other and and trying to understand each other. Exactly. So I'll get people to say, well, well, then I guess I just have to give in to whatever they want. And right. I say, not at all. Not even a little bit. I'm, me acknowledging what you're saying doesn't mean I'm going to adopt your philosophy or agree with you. I'm saying, look, at the heart of it, the heart of it is this. I love, as for fun, I, I, I study a lot of neurology And I know a lot of neurologists out there would cringe if I made this so simple because the truth is our brain is complicated. It is. It's complex. The whole brain is involved in all things. But if we really kind of give you just a, a basic visual, the center of our emotions is kind of seated in the middle of our brain, whereas our higher level thinking. So you and I talking right now, the way we're having an intellectual discussion, your listeners out there listening to this, if we put a a brain image over a a brain scan on them, the front part of your brain, your higher level thinking is activated right now. But when we're emotional, that center part of the brain is activated. So really quite simply, it's this. When someone's angry and you're trying to get them to see a different perspective, if you're talking at their frontal cortex when they're in their emotional system, the limbic system, then you're not actually communicating with them. It's like speaking a different language. But once you can validate them and get that energy out, now their brain is prepared to hear the message that you want to share with them. So Dr. Conti, you mentioned that you've been doing work with prison inmates. Tell us about this work and what types of changes have you seen? Well, I've seen profound changes. One of the things I'll do with inmates and officers is talk about a puppet. A marionette. Now imagine if we're pulling the strings on that marionette and we're making the puppet dance this way and that way. And I do that in front of, you know, some of the toughest people in the world. I say, this sounds silly, right? A puppet. But how many of you have had your day going one way and then all of a sudden someone comes along and says or does something and now you're angry? Well, guess what? In that moment, they just controlled you like a puppet. You allowed yourself to be a puppet. So my question to you is, do you want to continue to be a puppet to others or do you want to be in control of your own life? Again, change your attitude, change your life. So now I say to guys, okay, instead of, because a lot of inmates, a lot of arguments come because someone says something, now someone has to say something back. And what I try to teach is maintain control of you, no matter what others say, because people don't say things about you. They say what's inside of them. And that's important to understand because then you don't have to be reactive. And so the truth is we know that we master what we practice. If we want to be good at basketball, we have to practice basketball. So I I stood in front of the, the inmate population and I said, look, At the end of everyone's life, if you've ever sat with someone in hospice, what do we know people want? They don't say, oh, I wish I would have hurt more people. They say, I wish for peace. Like, they want peace. And if we all know that our final moments are going to come at some point, and we all know that we're going to want peace, then we master what we practice. If we want peace, we have to practice peace. So I started a movement on three things. One was inner peace. Two was education. It's not just about learning books. That's wonderful. That's great. When I say education, I say personal growth, like constantly learning about yourself your entire life. And then three it is so inner, inner peace, education, and then legacy. And I say this, the past is gone. We can't change a second of it. Future has not yet been written. All we have control over is the present moment. We are creating a legacy, like it or not, and our legacy is created as long as we're alive. 
it's all a part of our story. So you don't have to define yourself by what led to this moment. You can start to create your new legacy from this moment forward. The book is Walking Through Anger, a new design for confronting conflict in an emotionally charged world. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Conti and his work, you can visit drchristianconti.com. That's D-R, drchristianconti.com. Dr. Conti, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I want to leave your listeners with this. If you want peace, you've got to practice peace. It takes effort, but it's worth the effort. Dr. Conti, thank you so much for joining us and for providing strategies that can help us manage anger, ours and from others. So as I said, you know, it seems like we're living in a supercharged world today and what you teach can have a profound impact on our relationship and our daily life. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Joan. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.